Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. This morning, we start a summer sermon series on the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book, uh, like Proverbs or Job or Song of Solomon. Sometimes in the New Testament, James is called a New Testament wisdom book. All wisdom books in the Bible Uh, have this in common. They are interested in the way that the world works and how uh, humanity's place within it and how all of this operates under God's creative, sovereign care. How does the world work? What is our role? And how is it all connected together by God? The, uh, The traditional view of Ecclesiastes is that it was written by King Solomon, David's Son, even though uh, Solomon's name is never explicitly mentioned. Uh, instead, in uh, Ecclesiastes, the person is called in Hebrew Kohelet, which means the preacher or the teacher. Ecclesiastes, that, that title comes from the uh, Greek word ekklesia, which means church or assembly. So here you have a preacher who has an assembly, he's assembled people, he has his congregation, and this preacher has a message that he wants to give to the people. He has wisdom that he is ready to impart to his church. Ecclesiastes is a unique book. It's in some ways a kind of a strange book, and people haven't known what to to really make of it and do with it uh, over the years. Um, A guy was telling me that he works with uh, boys in juvenile detention, And he said that for these boys, the favorite book of the Bible for boys in juvenile detention is Ecclesiastes. Maybe we'll see why that is uh, this morning. Uh, Other people have said that that, uh, Herman Melville said Ecclesiastes is the truest of all books. And yet others have called Ecclesiastes the low point of the Old Testament. Uh, Some Jewish groups question whether Ecclesiastes defiled the hands. Um, And so, what are we to make of this book, this this book in which people are torn about it? It's 3,000 years old, and yet it's the most modern book in the whole Bible. So we're in for a treat. I and the other pastors are really excited to explore this part of God's Word with you. We're going to go on a journey for the next eight weeks uh, as we... Um, study Ecclesiastes because at its core, Ecclesiastes is about the search for meaning. Is our world searching for meaning right now? Is our country searching for meaning right now? Are you searching for meaning right now? Well, stand if you're willing and able and uh, hear God's inspired an errant and infallible word for you today. Ecclesiastes chapter one. 
The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Holy Spirit, help us with this challenging part of your word. Open our eyes and our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. We pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, please be seated. I want you to picture with me two little boys. One little boy is me. When I was around the age of 12, my mom got a job at uh, what was called Baptist Bookstore. It later became known as Lifeway. So my sister and I, every day after school, we would go to the bookstore and we would do our homework in the break room and then we would begin to wander the aisles. There were, in this, in this Christian bookstore, um, we got to listen to Christian music on CDs. Remember those? And there were Bibles in any size and color you could want. You could even get your name printed on them. There were Christian t-shirts, Christian home decor, Christian greeting cards, Christian games. They even had Christian candy. Everyone was always happy and smiling and ready to help. Everything was clean and organized. I felt safe there. Some of my most formative years were spent in the Christian bookstore. The second little boy I want you to picture is my son, Fisher. 
He's three. We're at the airport, a magical place for little children. We've, we've just made our way through security, also known as the third circle of hell. And we are now at the gate in the terminal. And, and they haven't started lining people up to board yet, and so we're walking from window to window, and we're looking out the window, and what does Fisher see? Well, he sees planes uh, going back and forth. He sees planes parked and taxiing. He, he sees uh, luggage uh, carts stacked high with luggage. He sees uh, people in vests waving flags and moving cones. He sees food trucks and fuel trucks delivering supplies. He sees all of this happening out of one window, at one gate, in one terminal. But imagine if someone in charge came and said, come with me, and, and he took us up into the control tower. And now we could see everything. We could, we could see all of the terminals and all of the planes and everything going on and what looked like the random happenings at one window and one gate and one terminal actually shows that there's intentionality. And there's a plan that is playing part of a larger, thoughtful story. Two little boys, one in a Christian bookstore, one at the airport. Okay, let's leave them there for a moment, and let's look again at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It starts, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And here is going to come the preacher's main point. He's going to give you his thesis statement. He's going to tell you right up front what he means. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Usually we hear the word vanity and we think what? Is someone who, who admires their own appearance or achievements too much, who looks too long in the mirror, Right? Um, Vanity Fair is a, about celebrities and fashion and beauty. We say he or she is so vain, right? You're so vain. <laughs> you probably think this sermon's about you. Well, this sermon is about you, but it's not that kind of vanity. This preacher has in mind a different kind of vanity. Vanity, the Hebrew word is the word hevel. Hevel, 38 times it's used in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, this word hevel uh, is translated as mist or vapor or breath or smoke. Metaphorically, it means um, something that's transient, nothing that you can get your hands on, an enigma, pointless, worthless, meaningless, futile, vanity. And not just vanity, but vanity of vanities, right? Holy of holies was the holiest place. God is king of kings. He's the ultimate king. Vanity of vanities, futility of futilities. Everything is utterly futile. That's not a very encouraging way to start a sermon, is it? This preacher, maybe he wrote Ecclesiastes on a Monday. Maybe he's got a case of the Mondays. The truth is, he is actually not afraid 
to push the boundaries and ask the questions that we are often too scared to. He asks, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? It sounds kind of like something that Jesus said what time, one time. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his soul? What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That phrase, under the sun, will be used a lot in Ecclesiastes. It really just means life in this world. The, the, the world as we experience it, as we, as we can observe it. So what is life on this earth? What is life under the sun like? Well, he tells us in, in beautiful poetic language. He, he says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Translation, go climb a mountain and see if it cares. It was there before you and it will be there after you. Let me ask you a question. How, how much do you know about your great-grandmother? I, I know a little bit about my great-grandmother. I've seen pictures and, and maybe have a story or two. Maybe you know a little bit more than that. Maybe you have memories of, of her. What about your great-great-grandmother? You see just how in two, three generations, people are forgotten. Generation goes and comes, but the earth remains forever. He says the, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. He's, he's you know, the sun rises and, and, then it, and then it comes over and it sets and then it runs back over to this place where it starts all over again and it does that every day. The wind starts in the south and goes up in the north and around and around the wind goes to the place where it came from. On its circuits it returns, it's... Time marches on. You can't stop it. Even atheists know this to be true. The band Pink Floyd sang, you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. He says, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow. Again, if you've been to Israel or if you can picture on a map, um, the Jordan River runs into the Dead Sea. And it stops there. There's nowhere for the water to go. And yet, it's been doing that for thousands and thousands of years. And yet, the Dead Sea never overflows its banks, never runs out of space. It just keeps flowing and going. All things, he says, are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not filled with hearing. Think of the most amazing places and uh, the most amazing things in the world. The Great Pyramid of Giza, the Great Wall of China, Machu Picchu, the Taj Mahal, the Amazon Rainforest, Glacier Bay National Park in Alaska, the Grand Canyon, Mount Everest. Imagine if you got to see all of it. You would still afterwards say what? Is that it? Isn't there more? What if you got to hear Mozart play the piano? What if you got a personal concert from Andrea Bocelli? The sound of an eagle, the cooing of a baby, it will give you pleasure for a moment, but it cannot last forever. 
It will not fill you. He says there, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Look at that. People say that, and they don't even realize they're quoting the Bible. There's nothing new under the sun. He says, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? Well, no, it, it has already been in the ages before us. What does that mean? I mean, because aren't cars new? Aren't iPhones new? Isn't Bitcoin new? What does that mean? We have a saying. The saying goes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. This preacher isn't talking about inventions. He's, he's talking about the motivations, the dreams, the desires, the idolatries behind all of the things that we do. Those things have never really changed. They're as old as Adam and Eve. And not only that, but, but we're not God. God, you know, everything that we create, we create secondhand. It's derivative. It's, um, we're, we're not creating anything original. Only God creates original. As theologians say, ex nihilo, out of nothing. It reminds me of in uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, you remember... Uh, Charlie Brown, and, and there's this one character, Pigpen, and Pigpen is like a walking uh, storm of dust. And uh, at one point, they're rehearsing for the play, and uh, Frida says, I can't go on. There's too much dust. It's taking the curl out of my naturally curly hair. Charlie Brown says, don't, don't think of it as dust. Think of it as maybe the soil of some great past civilization. Maybe the soil of ancient Babylon. It staggers the imagination. He may be carrying soil that was trod upon by Solomon or even Nebuchadnezzar, to which Pigpen says, sort of makes you want to treat me with more respect, doesn't it? There's nothing new under the sun. This preacher goes on. He says there's no remembrance of former things or could mean there's no remembrance of former people nor will there be any remembrance of later things or people yet to be who come after. N.D. Wilson wrote a really, um, I love this, he wrote about sandcastles when you go to the beach. He said, I am good with a bucket. I will defeat the ocean. The goal is not detail. I don't want a sandcastle with gothic lines and toothpick-edged windows. I want something big enough to sit in, a foxhole. And I don't want to retreat up to the safe sand well above the highest tide. I will carve out my legacy here, straddling the wash point where the foam sizzles and the sand crabs burrow. I will do it while the tide rises, and the tide is always rising. Every day it rocks back on its heel to build momentum, to get another run. Every day it crawls, slipping up the beach. The ocean can never forget the flood. It has tasted mountains. Waking and sleeping, it chews. I dig trenches, canals, drainage points, and pile up U-shaped dikes that I can afford to lose. Let them go, they are quickly replaced. For now, they break the foam blow and send the wash around the foxhole. My wife wants me to chase children, but the waves will not wait. If I had quitcrete, I would use it. Who could stop me, lifeguards? 
I don't see any, and if they're around, they're probably more worried about people drowning than they are about concrete-laced castles. But even the quickest of concretes couldn't help me. The ocean wouldn't care. A couple hundred stiffening pounds would mean nothing to it. I could park my truck here, and it would be gone in the morning. The waves might just bend it in half and leave it hanging on the cliff. Or, if they were in the right mood, they could pull it out to the kelp beds and give it to a needy family of leopard sharks. My daughters are too small to sit in this gift to them. I grab two older nieces and my son. The three, safe behind sand walls, laugh and taunt the ocean. The foam breaks on the outer dike and wraps around my creation. The walls hold. The children yell. The water rolls away. I will beat the ocean, but only by being beaten. I've lived inside sand walls. We all do, and they are always torn away. Generations people, black and white ancestors with forgotten names and forgotten graves have broken the waves and been broken. The waves come. They tear through the walls and erase the dikes. The three children jump up and run, falling with laughter. This is how it is. It is my turn to be the wall, to lie down and break the foam. I will dig and scrape and yell and curse the ocean. And when they grind my sand, I will leave behind me others, laughing others, impatient for their turn to be the wall. They're good with buckets. They will defeat the ocean. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Here is wisdom. If you look for meaning in nature, all you're going to find is vanity. You're going to discover that you are here today and gone tomorrow. One day you will be completely forgotten. No one will remember your name. It is futile to try and root your identity in anything under the sun. James says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Preacher summarizes in verse 14, he says, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. You know that feeling, chasing after the wind, chasing after something that constantly eludes you. When you're a kid, you think, oh, when I just get old enough to drive. Or, 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 or when, I, when I grow up, when I graduate high school and I go off to college, then I'll find it. Or when I... When I get a job, or when I get married, or when I have kids, and then you're 35 or 40, and you look at everything and you think, is this it? Isn't there more? You're an empty nester, or you're retired, and you, you think, is this it? Isn't there more? The Rolling Stones saying, I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. Why do we keep trying to find life, to find meaning under the sun? Why do we keep searching? The preacher, he actually tells us. It's fascinating. Look again at what he says. He says, I've been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I've applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That, notice it says, not to the children of men, the children of 
man, that, that word is Adam, Adam, the children of Adam. He's making a point. He's, he's pointing back to creation. And, and who, who gave this unhappy business for these children of man to be busy with? The need to keep searching for the meaning of life, the desire to find the key that will unlock the door to why everything is that the way it is and why everything happens, it comes from who? It comes from God. God has put it there he, because we're made in his image. God has placed in every human being a longing to know the eternal plan, to know the whole scheme of things, and yet it is an unhappy business the preacher says. It is a frustrating quest. It is striving after wind. Because what is crooked, he says, cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. There are things that we cannot change or add up. We try to manage people. We try to manage problems. We try to manage circumstances. And yet, by our own intelligence or cunning, or strategies, we cannot change what God has put in place. Not even wisdom itself is immune from vanity. He says, I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom. I surpassed all who were over me in Jerusalem. My heart's experienced great wisdom and knowledge. I, I applied myself to no wisdom and, and even madness and folly, and I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Do you remember this uh, public service announcement? Oh, that's like, it takes me back to my childhood. Uh, so nostalgic. Just those five seconds. The more you know. Right, so NBC for 30 years ran this public service announcement called The More You Know. They were these one-minute clips, and the whole point was they were trying to say the more you know... The more educated you are, then the better things will be for you. The more you'll have control over your life and things will go well for you. Let me ask you a question. When you watch the news 24-7, the more you know about what's going on in the world, does it make you happier or sadder? I just, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. That, that with all of our technology, like I can, I can know whatever's going on in the world. In the smallest backwaters of some place in Indonesia, I can know that, that somebody tried to kill somebody else. And, and that's what runs on the news constantly. It's all these sometimes big stories, but mostly they're little stories of brokenness in and, and the world, and they just start adding up and piling on. And, and, and I just don't think that God created us to know all that to be able to handle, to, to know all of the things that are going on in the world because with much wisdom comes much sorrow. So, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This preacher pushes us all the way to the edge, right up to the cliff of pessimism to where we look down and see it. He, he would have agreed with the words of Shakespeare's Macbeth. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. 
So how do we apply this preacher's message to our lives? Does this apply? Does this, how, how, how does this matter to us? Listen, I know that every time I preach, there are essentially two groups of people sitting in the pews. Um, group one, you feel right now like life and faith are going pretty well. You walked in here today and things are going okay. Group number two, you feel like life and faith right now are not going pretty well. You came today, maybe you didn't want to come today. And there's a spectrum. I mean, we're all on that spectrum, right, somewhere, um, not necessarily at, at the polls. But generally speaking, you walked in here this morning either feeling good and confident or feeling sad and defeated. And next week, that could change. But where are you right now? What group are you in this morning? To those of you in group one, you're like me when I was 12, living in the Christian bookstore. Your life and your faith are shrink-wrapped. Everything is where it should be. You're living by life, your life by verses on the wall, and you've always got a smile on. Why is Ecclesiastes in the Bible? Ecclesiastes is in the Bible to turn us into realists. Not to make us pessimistic or fatalist. Not really even to make us optimistic, but to make us realists. To make us honest. J.I. Packer writes, to live wisely you have to be clear-sighted and realistic, ruthlessly so, in looking at life as it is. Wisdom will not go with comforting illusions, false sentiment, or the use of rose-colored glasses. Some of us live in a dream world with our heads in the clouds and our feet off the ground. We never see the world and our lives in it as they really are. Be realistic, says the preacher. Face these facts. See life as it is. You will have no true wisdom till you do. For some of you, it's time to leave the bookstore. It's time to step out into the world under the sun. God wants to break us down in order to build us up. He wants us to have a strong, enduring faith, one with roots that go down deep. And that kind of faith only comes when you take off the rose-colored glasses and face the vanity. That's one group. But there's another group of people here this morning. You don't really need to be convinced that life is vanity. You walked in here this morning and because of some suffering or doubt, you're already on the same page with this preacher. You get it. You are like my son at the window in the airport. And you think, if God would just take me up in the control tower, if he would just show me how this is all going to work out, then I would be okay. If I could just know the plan, if I could know the reason for it all. Again, Packer writes, people feel that if they were really walking close to God so that he could impart wisdom to them freely, then they would, so to speak, find themselves in the control tower 
They would discern the real purpose of everything that happened to them, and it would be clear to them every moment how God was making all things work together for good. Such people spend much time wondering why God should have allowed this or that to take place, whether they should take it as a sign to stop doing one thing and start doing another, or what they should deduce from it. If they end up baffled, they put it down to their own lack of spirituality. The truth is that God in his wisdom to make and keep us humble and teach us to walk by faith has hidden from us almost everything that we should like to know about the providential purposes which he is working out in the churches and in our own lives. For some of you this morning, it's time to stop asking why. It's time to stop trying to figure it out. Don't presuppose or try to predict the purposes of God. Just live faithfully in the moment and trust him. Romans 8:28 says, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It's okay to live in the terminal because God is up in the control tower. He's told you that he's promised to work all things together for your good, but he has not promised to always show you how. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Do you remember I said that another word you could use for vanity is the word futility? In fact, that's the word that the Apostle Paul chose when he wrote to his letter to the Romans. Uh, he said, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, to, to vanity. Not willingly, but, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is the Apostle Paul saying? We experience futility. We experience vanity in this life, under the sun, as the preacher would say. We experience it because of sin. We experience it because of the fall. But vanity, he says, will not be the end of the story. There is hope. The creation is waiting for something. It's waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, which is shorthand for when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Here's the point. Without Jesus, then this preacher's message is indeed pessimistic and hopeless. But if you belong to Jesus, then you can look at life and see it realistically. There is vanity, but vanity will not have the last word. Glory will. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will experience vanity. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Let's pray.
Jesus, it is, it is scary to admit that all is vanity. It is scary to walk up to that cliff and look down into the darkness, and yet we must, because it is true. In this world, we experience vanity, but, but Jesus, that's why you came. You came so that the creation would one day be set free from vanity, and we ourselves would experience hope. And so like the Apostle Paul, help us to wait for it with patience. Help us to sit in the vanity with faith, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Thank you.